the reason I wanted to do medicine, you know, and go to medical school rather than be a scientist is that uh, I really value the, the very personal connection you get to make with patients when you have this longitudinal relationship with them and the community. And that's not to say that like oncologists or specialists don't also have that, but um, for me, it's primary care had a, a more direct appeal to how I wanted to, to practice medicine. stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tanning. Welcome, everyone, to the November episode of the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Ross Tanik, your host, maybe even your guide, perhaps your docent for the show, where we get the lowdown on primary care specialties of medicine from the people in the field themselves. And I got to say, I feel like I have been awfully focused on family medicine lately. A lot of my guests have been family med guests. Uh, perhaps I just have uh, family med on the brain. Um, I'm in the thick of applying to family medicine residency program. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. But I'm taking this time as a reminder for all of you folks listening, that I would love to get any specialties or any uh, providers from any and all specialties of medicine on the pod to talk about how their worlds relate to the world of primary care medicine, as that is the mission of the show. So you know, I got to give the people what they want. So if you have any suggestions, general or specific, for guests, hit me up at the primary care podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at primary care podcast. All right, great. Um, so I'm going to get to the episode quickly today because my guest is awesome. I think you guys are all really going to enjoy him and our chat today. Uh, because he is super cool. And I had a, a great chat. He's a, a second year resident in family medicine at the St. Joseph Hospital program in Denver. His name is Dr. Mario Giovacchini. He told me it rhymes with zucchini, but you know, sometimes that's easier said than done, perhaps. Uh, his co-resident, Christina Hewlin, was a previous guest and a friend of the show. And I tried to make sure that we discussed mostly different topics, or if we hit on the same or similar topics, that we discuss them in a different way. And I think, think you'll agree with me there. Uh, so not only did we hear about his really interesting backstory and path to family medicine, which includes being in medical research, genome sequencing, the biotech industry, living in Sweden, going on a medical mission and being inspired to get into medicine that way. Uh, but we also took a deep dive into his experiences as a resident. We discussed the nuances of intern year and second year. He talked about how to maximize learning the things you want to get out of residency or figure out things when nobody is telling you how to figure things out or find the answer you're looking for. 
he talks about healthcare in the United States and uh, the world some somewhat and how he would improve it. And he discusses his own experiences and hope for the, his future and the future regarding caring for underserved communities. So, of course, this is just a quick summary, but uh, I want to get to it. So let's hear those topics and many more discussed in this nice and I'd like to think succinct episode. So everybody, please enjoy my chat with Dr. Mario Giovacchini. I came to medicine as kind of a second career. So I, I grew up out in California, kind of by the beach. Um, you know, in school, I studied biochemistry, molecular biology. I always thought I'd probably wind up doing a PhD in something. Um, but uh, I could never decide exactly what. And so I, you know, wound up working in biotech in Santa Cruz, the South Bay, um, that whole area. I got into genomics um, in Santa Cruz and then um, moved out to Stockholm, Sweden for a while and worked as a bioinformatician there. Um, but in between finishing, uh, you know, college and, and moving to Stockholm, I went on a medical mission. It's a little cliche to say, but it's true. Just kind of on a, on a lark. And, um, we were down in Honduras and it was just me and some nurses and some doctors and just way out in the jungle with a, you know, a, a cooler full of medicine and, I just saw what these people could do with all this, this stuff that they, they just knew in their heads, you know, they could make this huge difference in people's lives just by these, all this knowledge they had and these skills that they, they had honed. Um, and so I thought, well, if I can, if people can learn how to do that, I should, I want to learn how to do it. Cause that's a cool way to help people. Um, and then it took me like another probably four or five years to get into med school. So I, in the interim I was gone. And then I went to school out, out East in, in DC, um, and then kind of met halfway in between, uh, you know, the coasts here in here in Denver, where I'm a, I'm a second year at St. Joseph Family Medicine Residency at the moment. Awesome. Um, no, that's so cool. That's such a cool story. Um, even the last guest had kind of a similar story. It was a, on a medical mission that they, you know, first got that twinkle in their eye for medicine. Um, no. So it's, you know, it's probably not uncommon. You, you said cliche, but I think it's beautiful. Um, so yeah. real quick, just kind of, cause we're talking about that. Do you feel like you're kind of on the path to get to where you wanted to first go, go to, um, you know, with that first, uh, inspiration to get into medicine, you saw all these people doing amazing things with the, mm -hmm. all this knowledge in their head and not much in their suitcase or their, you know, cooler full, full of medicine. Do you yeah. feel like you're, you're getting there or you're on the path? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, for, I don't know, some people, you know, they, they know from very early on, they want to be a doctor, and they know what kind of doctor they want to be. And, you know, that said, I think the majority of people who enter medical school, thinking they know what they want to do for a residency or specialty, wind up changing their mind, which is, I think, good, because, you know, before you start doing the job, how do you know what, what is really going to be interesting for you? Um, and so, I, one of the things I like so much about family medicine is it's, I like to think of it as, you know, if they call for a, a doctor on an airplane, which specialty would be the one that is best suited to anything that could come up. Yeah. And that applies to, um, 
you know, if you're abroad, you know, working in an underserved area here uh, or in the jungles of Honduras, um, I think family medicine is one of the most broadly applicable um, kinds of medicine you can practice and it prepares you to, to kind of take on whatever comes at you. Um, so that in that way, I think, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm hopefully headed towards there. We'll see to which countries it takes me if it winds up being abroad or if I'm just working with, you know, people who need help here in the States of which there are plenty. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I try to remind myself that uh, as much work as this is, it's a, it's a privilege to get to do it because you get to help people in a way that um, I think is really inspiring and makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a great thought. Um, I want to get back to kind of medicine and doctoring and, you know, uh, going through the process of residency. I want to touch on a couple of things you did uh, prior to medical school that you mentioned being in the biotech industry. You talked about being in, uh, I think, medical informatics. Is that uh, is that the right terminology? Yeah, well, I, you know, I got into it from um, early on. I was sort of like a molecular biologist and then I, I got into genomics, which is you know, more DNA sequencing, looking through the genome for stuff that's interesting. Um, and then I, I was in the lab doing that for a long time, but I had sort of a background in, in computers, um, you know, programming and all that. So eventually I snuck my way out of the lab and just wound up doing bioinformatics, which is more like the, the processing of, I would say, genomic data, you know, DNA, RNA, whatever it is, uh, to try and find out interesting things that you can, that you can use. Um, to develop products or improve people's health, whatever it is. Uh, so that that was what I was doing uh, to some degree back in California, but really full time out in out in Stockholm. That's cool. Were you working on any projects or products that we might know, like that have gone big? Uh, well, let me think. Uh, there's a few. There's like a biomedical company based out of the South Bay. I should give a shout out to uh, called Magaray. Uh, probably not like a direct-to-consumer product. So unless you're running some kind of lab, you probably won't go out and purchase their equipment. But it was more in Stockholm. We were at a what's called a core facility. The government there funds a, an enormous, uh, you know, biomedical sciences center, core center um, that allows Swedish academics to receive help with their research, and they get um, you know assistance with paying for that kind of stuff. So it was an interesting job because it it both involved setting up the infrastructure of it was one of the biggest genomic centers in the world i guess it probably still is uh you know just how to calculate how to process that much data but then also getting to travel around sweden to talk to individual researchers about whatever kind of upstream life sciences research they were doing and, and how we could help them do it so um yeah it was a it was a really interesting job um it's probably not like a, a money maker for sweden but um it, it was, uh, I, I would say it's one of the reasons that Sweden does really well in the biotech sphere is because their, their government and the, and the universities and everyone are committed to, um, to really investing in it, which is nice. Yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, so do you feel like those having that background in biotech and genome sequencing has helped you in your, your medical career uh, life? Yeah, you know, so when I went into um, get into medical school first, I always thought that I would probably wind up doing research. And particularly when I started, um, you know, a lot of the uh, sort of more advanced um, cancer treatments, the sort of more bioengineered cancer treatments like you'd see out of Texas uh, were getting big. And so I thought that would be what I wound up doing. But then I realized 
um, actually, when I, I started doing more family medicine, primary care, the reason I wanted to do medicine, you know, and go to medical school rather than be a scientist is that uh, I really valued the the very personal connection you get to make with patients when you have this longitudinal relationship with them and the community. And that's not to say that like oncologists or specialists don't also have that, but um, for me, it's primary care had a, a more direct appeal to how I wanted to, to practice medicine. Um, the short answer would be that we don't often use, you know, full genome sequencing to, to deal with most people's <laughs> diabetes. So I would say it's uh, less directly applicable. The, you know, some of the study methods that um, that I learned the ability to process data and, and, you know, certainly read through original research have been, have been helpful. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably not going to be sequencing anyone's, uh, genome down at Bruner anytime soon. <laughs> right, right. You're, uh, referring to the, uh, the family med clinic that, uh, is in your residency, Bruner family medicine, uh, clinic. Um, but you're right. The, um, you know, you're probably not doing a lot of the day-to-day -day skills, but you kind of mentioned that there is a lot to be gained in all just the, the ancillary stuff. Like you said, reading research is kind of a big thing that I don't feel like, uh, I learned a whole lot about in medical school and, or at least, uh, what I have learned has been mostly on my own, not to say that they haven't tried, but it's just not emphasized as much as some other things. Uh, in medical yeah. school. No, exactly. And, you know, there's always a subset of, of people more interested in research that are going to spend more time doing that. But um, I do think it's a useful thing just to be able to, you know, it doesn't mean like you have to be able to run a multi-center study, but in the same way that you can, you don't have to know how to build a house, but it's helpful to know if the guy building your house knows what he's doing, you know? That's um, a really great way to say it. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, some of the research stuff is also, you know, research doesn't have to be looking under a microscope. Um, there's plenty of research you can do in primary care and having the ability to kind of like, you know, gather the data, clean the data, know how to collect the data and then process it to figure out, um, you know, to work on your hypothesis, whether or not your hypothesis is correct is always something that's useful. Definitely. And it's really cool that you have this kind of academic background, but yet we're drawn to medicine for these other reasons other than academia, for the interpersonal connection and the just flat out how you can help people in a in a face-to-face um, -face setting. Um, and then that's what you ended up pursuing, but you just were talking about research as well. And um, you did some research on a particular virus in medical school that uh, probably most of the audience would be familiar with. Oh, that old thing. Oh, yeah. The COVID. I think that's almost over. I think they got a vaccine and everything that should be done in no time here. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, no, yeah. but so you did um, some research on coronavirus. Is that right? Yeah. So when I was, um, I guess the irony is that the reason I had all the extra time to do that in medical school is that they pulled us home about three months early because, uh, you know, COVID had just started. So mm -hmm. um, whereas I was meant to be, you know, doing a acting internship in the ICU and I was going to, you know, spend some time down in Ecuador. Uh, instead, I mostly spent my time, um, you know, doing some of this research and tooling around DC and trying to get ready for residency. But yeah, they, um, at, at Georgetown, they have a, uh, an ICU certainly that saw plenty of people with COVID early on. And that was back when, you know, nobody really knew how to treat this. Um, mm -hmm. This is the sort spring of, to, of 2020. Yeah, this was, I guess, would have been March, April, May. 
Um, and so some of the docs there were, were trying out different treatments. This particular one was they were attempting to use inhaled epipostanol to see if that would improve people's, you know, it would be a useful treatment for ARDS. Um, and so it was a lot of, you know, organizing the vent setting data, the, the P to F ratios, all the, all the, um, all the data they collected and, and trying to make some sense out of it. So that was a really interesting thing to uh, get to do. And then I started residency. So I kind of just took off and left it to the, the uh, well, I guess he was a fourth year by the time I left um, to kind of finish up. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. You know, it's, if you, if you have some of those research skills and you kind of take the time to figure out how to, how to make sense of data, I think you can apply that to all sorts of different things you're interested in, whether it's, you know, working on the, the COVID stuff uh, with ICU data, or now I'm kind of, I'm working on some behavioral health um, data that's coming out of the Darjeeling region of India um, that, that someone else has here at, at Brunner Clinic. So it's, you know, different applications, but I think if it's something you're interested in, it is a, a worthwhile thing to get to, to get some practice with. So true. And, you know, sometimes I, I struggle myself with not having all that much of a research background, even though I've been in, um, you know, research settings as a research assistant in a number of different um, academic settings. But I still uh, struggle with um, sometimes even doing the same things that we're just talking about right now, reading papers and understanding, is this a good study? Is this a bad study? Does the person building this house know what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sort of thing. And just asking the question, how do I know if what, if what I'm doing is the right thing to do? Uh, you know, which is a common question that I'm asking myself in the family medicine setting. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of medicine is just not being quite sure and knowing that you have people around you that um, are happy to help you kind of work through that. Um, you know, at, at the at the medical school, at the medical student or, or intern or even, you know, second year resident phase, you don't have to be reading through the entirety of the New England Journal every every month. And probably, honestly, in residency, I would say that's probably not the best use of your time. You can skim the headlines, but, um, you know, a lot of residency is about learning the, the fundamentals of, of how to practice medicine in whatever field that is. So you probably don't need to know about the, you know, the latest trial on whatever this specific cancer drug is. Uh, yeah, you know, if you plan on going to oncology, think about it. But otherwise, I think focus on your, your basic stuff and um, read studies if they seem applicable, but don't go, you got to focus your time a little bit, you know? Yeah. That's good advice. And that actually kind of is a nice uh, transition to the next topic that I wanted to talk about is knowing how to um, learn things in different contexts. Um, We've talked about medical school. We've talked about uh, residency just a little bit, and we'll get to more of those topics later too. But uh, medical school is divided into two different sections, basically. There's the first two years, the preclinical years, which are way different than the the clinical years. So do you have thoughts on how best to or what worked for you to transition from preclinical to clinical years? And then I kind of want to, you know, ride that wave and talk about the transition from clinical years to residency in in a little bit. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. You know, I think um, I remember as a second year running into one of the third years who had just, you know, as a, as a med student. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, it was just amazing what they could do, what they knew how to do. And I ran into him once. I was like, it must be so nice to, to finally get to apply all this knowledge you've learned. And she's like, 
oh yeah it, it's good it's just i realize now how much more there is that, that i don't know mm-hmm. um and i think a lot of i think that just kind of keeps happening or at least that's my experience uh you know the people a year or two above you you think know everything in the world and then you get there and you realize oh no i you know the people above me know more than anything and and you just keeps happening but um so i would say you know you certainly do learn a lot in the first and second year. And then as you move into third year, it's a, it's a whole new environment. And so that's challenging on in itself. Um, a lot of medicine is as a student, um, just kind of pushing beyond what you're comfortable with. And a lot of that's going to involve, you know, being wrong sometimes, or at least being uncertain. Uh, and I think that that's, it's hard, certainly as a medical student, when you're being graded all the time, or at least you feel you are. Um, but you know, you, you do have to take advantage of the people around you who, who by definition know more than you. Um, I will say, you know, probably the, one of the best ways to succeed if your goal is to get honors and maximize whatever it is you're doing, um, tell the people, you know, above you in, in whatever rotation it is that you really want to do well in this rotation and you want to learn a lot and, you know, then they'll, they'll know you're interested and they'll maybe take a little more time with you and they'll tell you what they expect you to be able to do. Um, I think expectation setting is really huge. So if you can do that at the beginning of, of any time you're working with someone new, um, just be like, hey, what, what is it that you would like for me to be able to do and how would you like for me to do it? Um, and that takes away a lot of the uncertainty and gives you something to focus on. And, uh, and then you, you should know, you know, it gives you a yardstick by which you can measure do I need to work harder? Am I doing okay? You know, what else can I do here? Um, and so that that remains true, you know, I think throughout the clinical years. Um, as you get into residency, I think the biggest transition is you are a doctor now, and you certainly don't feel like one, or at least I didn't right away, um, but you are. And, and so, you know, some of that is you need to know what you're doing and you have to show that you're trying to know how to do the right thing. But it, it, it's definitely, no one expects you to know everything, you know, as an intern, you're there to learn and everybody knows that. And so um, being, putting in the hard work certainly, but, but being willing to ask questions when you don't know something, um, I think is really important. Because uh, if you don't, you're going to miss out on a le- lot of learning from people who have been doing this a lot longer than you and have probably been through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, you want to make sure just for patient safety's sake that um, you aren't pretending that you did an exam maneuver that you didn't and, you know, that you didn't, you don't, you want to make something up just to make it look like you know what you're talking about. Because um, at this, at the residency level, you really are taking care of patients. Um, you know, you're their doctor to some degree. So, so that's very important. Um, you know, there's more to it than that, but I would say those are, those are reasonable places to start flashcards also. Okay. You're still, still in flashcard mode. Oh when yeah. No, I'm not flashcarding anymore. That, that was, sorry. That was a throwback to the, uh, to the clinical years. You certainly okay. need to keep flashcarding throughout third and fourth year. Or at least I did. I don't know. People learn differently, but that helped me a lot. Yeah, no, it's interesting how, uh, you know, flashcards are nice for the uh, just, you know, rote memorization thing and maybe some mm-hmm. some other uh, aspects of memory. But uh, it is uh, incredible how much you forget that, you, you you know, you were so impressed with yourself for knowing a couple months before. And then yep. now you're not, you know, putting in that work in that way and you forget the things that you had memorized in some Absolutely. clever way, too. 
Yeah. One other thing just as a, you know, I'm not getting paid by them or anything, but I found the online med ed videos very useful. Um, yeah. They're free. You know, you can certainly pay for, I think, extras, but uh, the, that guy really breaks down exactly what you really need to know at, at each particular level. So for me, that was really helpful. Um, it makes you feel more like you know what you're doing and that always that always makes you feel a little better when you're taking care of somebody. Yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoy those videos too and, and have uh, spent a lot of time with them. Uh, I know there's some intern content on that site too. Have you ever uh, dabbled with that? I have. I actually bought that book. I don't have it sitting here right next to me, but he makes like an intern survival guide and it is a little like medicine focused, but um, I found that very valuable as an intern and I still, you know, bust it out from time to time because it's kind of the same thing. You know, he, he talks you through, you know, this person has an AKI. Here are the things that you need to think about. And here's the things you're actually going to do. And mm-hmm. here's something that you learned in medical school, but you're never going to do that as like the, the internist because by that time you're calling nephrology. So he helps you kind of break down. It just, it makes me feel more confident because I, I can think, okay, these are the dangerous things. These are the other things it could be. And this is the order in which I need to do things to figure out what to do next. Um, and he often tells you what to do next too. So Nice. I thought that at least the book was really good. I haven't watched as many of the videos, but, um, okay, no, that's a good, I, I, that's like, uh, I love talking to people who have good ideas on resources to, mm-hmm. to, uh, help you out. Um, okay. So talking about clinical years of medical school, and now you're thinking about what residency programs you're looking for. Um, let's quick cu- cover the topic of how to search for how you searched for a residency program and, and how you picked them and, and what just yeah. the whole process was like, especially in the pre COVID times. Cause that seems like a million years ago. Yeah. I always feel badly for, for, you know, your class, the class last year. Um, and I, I guess that would have been it who, who don't have a chance to go out and see these places because for me, that was a, an important deciding factor. Uh, but you know, that's, that's life in the time of COVID, I suppose. Um, in terms of picking out, you know, residents, these that you, you know, to start your search, um, certainly there will be a few maybe that you've heard about that y- you want to look into more deeply, but um, some of it's just going to be, where do I want to live? You know, I'm going to be living, when you're a resident, you're going to be living there for, you know, at least three years. Um, and you're going to spend, you know, a lot of time working really hard. And so it can be, you know, you want to think about, do I want to live in a, in a beautiful place? Do I want to live in a place where I can live in a nice house? How close can I live to the hospital and so on? So those are things to think about. But for me, you know, I knew I probably either wanted to be in one of the big cities on the East Coast, um, maybe somewhere out on the West Coast, which I knew I liked, uh, you know, the Great Lakes. And then I, I looked at Denver. Um, interestingly, the part of the reason I I picked some of the programs I did is because I got to go to the AAFP conference. Um, and I, I'm not sure that they're holding that in person now, unfortunately, yeah. but just getting a chance to kind of walk around, look at how the programs present themselves, what they think is important and the people who are there and, you know, vibing with the people that, that, that show up there, um, I think helped me a lot. And I, I don't know if I would have found St. Joe's if I hadn't have met them, met them there, but um, they ticked a lot of my boxes. So yeah, I guess, that, that would be my, my advice for, uh, you know, picking out programs. I yeah. also certainly asked my, my clinical advisor who I respected a great deal, you know, what programs have you heard from, from old students years that they liked a lot? What, you know, do you know people here? What do you think of this place? Um, and then in terms of, you know, how to decide 
um, how are you going to rank everybody and, and, you know, the interviews and everything. Um, I also, I thought it was really great to be able to go there in person. And I recognize you guys can't do that. Mm-hmm. I think as much as you can, it would be great to interact with the people who are in the residency um, because there are different, I hate to keep using the word vibes, but there are different vibes at different residencies, both, yeah. you know, the student, you know, the residents and the faculty. And so you, you can get a really good education at a, at a lot of different residencies, um, but you want to find a group of people that you're going to want to spend all that time with. Uh, and so I think that is an important thing. Definitely. You know, if you have a chance to talk to people one-on-one or two-on-one, whatever it is, um, if you happen to have a chance to come visit a place, if you're really interested in it, I think that would, that is probably something that I would, I would choose to do. For sure. It's funny to use the word vibe because that's the word I keep going to as well. I can't really think of a better word for it, mm-hmm. even though it seems kind of unscientific or unprofessional or something when I say I just want to get the vibe of this place man you know? yeah I think in family medicine yeah. you're allowed to use the word vibe <laughs> for sure yeah. um for sure but so you said there are palpable different vibes that you get from different places um however I'll throw this back to you oftentimes I feel like wow everybody's so nice everywhere everyone's so cool everywhere I get along with everyone everywhere. Uh, I haven't met someone I really didn't like, uh, you know, on the, on the family medicine trail, uh, man, is this just how it is? And I have to be more discerning (laughs) or, or, you know, I'm not, I'm probably not going to find a lot of people who I just completely don't vibe with at this point. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's, uh, you just have to find a, a, some other metrics or just, uh, be, uh, hold a higher bar or something. I don't know. It's tough, you know, and, you know, and to some degree, you start to figure out as you get further along in the interview trail, what really distinguishes a program. Um, So, you know, your first one, you haven't really done an interview with the residency. So they tell you all this stuff and you don't know that much about, you know, is this special to this program? Does everybody have this? And so you start to kind of figure that out as you continue on with the interviews, you know, and you start to know which questions to ask, you know, how many uh, you know, what, what degree of pediatrics training are you going to get? How many kids do you see in your clinic? You know, what, um, what support do you have for whatever it is, you know, birth control or uh, family planning, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, what, what languages are spoken in the clinic? What support do I have if I want to get better at learning those languages, that kind of thing. Um, a big one for me that I didn't, I didn't uh, think about early on is it's, it is when you're working with an underserved population, like uh, we are here at Bruner, you know, having um, good infrastructure in the clinic in terms of social workers, case managers, you know, diabetes care, uh, language support, that's all, um, I think it would be much harder to do this job without people that could help patients in their lives outside the clinic, because so much of what makes people sick, obviously, is not what's happening during your 30-minute clinic visit, it's everything else in their life. Um, So that would just be one thing that I would look for. But yeah, it becomes kind of, it's very, it's a hard, you know, I, I often think about all the residencies I didn't get to go to and how much I think I would have enjoyed going to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, each of them had a lot of pluses, I would say for the most part pluses. And so it it can be difficult to distinguish. Um, And so I think you also, one of the advantages of going to that place is you get to sort of imagine, all right, just this is the residency I'm in. How do I feel about that? and so it, you can try to do that somehow virtually. I'm not entirely sure, but um, that, that can also be helpful. You know, and if you're interested in really in pediatrics, ask about that. If you're really interested in, uh, you know, working abroad, ask about that. But 
um, I think it'll become more clear to you as you get closer to setting up your rank list. Um, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to work this out? It's very individualized. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, transition to residency in our conversation as well. Um, kind of want to load you up with a couple of questions here. I want to talk about intern year. Um, mm. I want to talk about the differences in the transition from PGY one to PGY two. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because I, I thought about talking about that exact question when I saw you um, a couple of weeks ago in clinic mm-hmm. where I was uh, kind of doing exactly what you were saying is uh, going and visiting a program that I'm interested in and just feeling the vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked you, I said, uh, hey, uh, is PGY2 second year better than intern year? And your eyes lit up and you said, yes, so yeah, so much. Uh, And and I I can't forget that. So uh, I want to hear about your experience as an intern and then uh, where you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, and having only done the one residency so far, you know, one intern year at one place. Just your experience. My experience. Yeah, intern year is... um, is definitely challenging, you know, for many reasons, but, you know, by design, you are surrounded by people who know more than you do about what you're trying to do. And your job is to try to do what they're doing. And so you're going to get it wrong a lot. And, um, you know, the, and that's okay. You know, you just keep learning, but it is hard to just not really feel confident in what you're doing. Um, for a lot of a year mm-hmm. you don't feel like a doctor at first and that changes usually at least for me it was maybe january february march i started feeling a little more like it but it's also that every month you're doing something new so you start to get the hang of something and i guess this is probably i can't quite remember now but probably how i felt in medical school doing different blocks too but and then you know you're getting really good at obstetrics you feel like you can do this and then you switch to surgery and you're like ah Okay. Or, you know, you're, you're working on your internal medicine stuff. And then, you know, uh, all of a sudden you're switching over to ICU and it's related, but it's a whole different set of people and different things you need to learn. Yeah. So it's a lot of learning. Some of it's painful um, and, and you're tired a lot, but if you have a good group of, of co-residents and um, a good group of, you know, attendings and faculty that you can sort of rely on and sometimes complain with and, and talk to about how best to do something, I think it's a lot easier, um, but it's hard. And then second year, you know, in some ways it is, uh, some ways it's easier. You know, most of these rotations you've kind of, you've been through once before. So you know the structure and you know the material and you know the people. Um, you don't just get lost in the hospital. You know, you don't have to worry about getting lost in a stairwell somewhere and being late for rounds. Yeah. Um, and in some ways it's harder. You, you have more responsibility. So, it, you know, like the difference between you know, showing up to the code and running the code, right? It, it, it feels different. Um, and, but that's okay, you know, and you're leading the interns, right? You, you're now responsible for what the intern's learning. You're, you're helping to run the team. And so there is that, but, um, you know, it, it feels good sometimes you'll, you'll surprise yourself. Like you, you know, maybe you're, you're gonna be there as a second year in the middle of the night and the nurse calls you and said, oh, this patient's, you know, having trouble breathing, there's a kipnik, I don't know what's going on. And you show up and you'll, you know, kind of just out of nowhere, you'll hear yourself say, okay, well, let's put on some oxygen. We got to get a chest x-ray, a CBC and a BBG. I'm going to call, you know, whatever it is. And you, you realize like all of a sudden, huh, I kind of know what I'm doing. And it, it feels, 
um, pretty good. And in the same way, you know, like we do sometimes, not frequently, but sometimes we'll do 28 or 30 hour calls and then you're there overnight by yourself. And the first time it's, I at least was fairly anxious about that. There were people I could call, but I was the one in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's when you start to actually feel like a doctor because you at least try to figure all this stuff out yourself. You get the admission yourself, you figure out how to triage them, what you need to do first. Um, and when you look at people before and after they've done a couple of weeks or a month or whatever at nights, uh, they, they just act differently in the hospital. I think it's when you really, you know, it's those uncomfortable positions that you get put in where you really grow a lot. Um, so I think second year is when you're starting to feel a little more confident. Um, you're still not always totally knowing what you're doing, but you're, you're, you're getting there. And then having, I haven't done third year yet, of course, but just looking at the third years, I can tell that's better than second year. So <laughs> something to look forward to. All right. Great. Well, uh, yeah, I look forward to it all. Um, and, you know, I, I really, uh, like what you said there about, you know, growth comes from these moments and, and times of discomfort, um, you know, that force you to grow and learn. And that's basically the, just the name of the game and all of medical education. Um, so now yeah. having been through residency for about a year and a half or so, um, how has your view of medicine changed, you know, specifically to what you want to do in medicine? How have your interests changed in medicine, meaning like what was important to you within this field that you were going into right as you were entering it in your intern year, let's say. Um, and then uh, how has that changed um, you know, now, up till now? Yeah, up till yeah. now. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, in some ways, uh, I think it's hard to know what residency is going to be like in the same way. It's hard to know what you know, the, um, you know, clinical years are like as a, as a, in the preclinical years of medical school. Um, so I knew that I liked to do all sorts of different things, which is why I like family medicine. You guys have probably seen that flow chart where you try and figure out your specialty. And the first question is, what do you like to do? And if the answer is everything, it just goes to family medicine. <laughs> nice. Um, I wound up enjoying, uh, just for instance, obstetrics a lot more than I thought I would. Like I, I, one of the reasons I picked family medicine is I knew I loved delivering babies, but I think it's going to be a much larger part of my career than I probably would have predicted. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm thinking more, I don't know how seriously, but a little, I'm at least entertaining the idea of living in not a full on urban area. Um, because I think doctors who are living in more rural areas just get to be the doctor for the town, you know, and they, they get to do all that stuff. And certainly they, they send people off to more advanced areas when they need to, but um, that's, that's the kind of medicine that I think I, I've always envisioned in my head as a child, you know, that's the doctor, they take care of the town, they take care of the community. And if you, if you need help, they're the person who helps you. Um, those sorts of things. I'm, as I said, I'm doing less research than I, than I expected that may change. You just don't have a lot of extra time during intern year. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe in the spring, that'll be different. Um, but uh, those are just some of the examples. Um, you know, I, I think I'm always kind of keeping an open mind, which I think is helpful. You want to have a general idea of, of where you want to wind up, but you don't want to put the blinders on because uh, you might miss out on some pretty good opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And in that way, how has residency been different than you may have expected as you were beginning residency, you know, not, not 
comparing it to your view of residency five years ago, but just a year and a half ago? Yeah. You know, I think some of that ties back to what I was saying about how, when you're looking up at, you know, when I was an intern and I was starting out and I was looking at the second years, I was just bowled over by all the stuff that they could do. Um, you know, they, they knew how to do things confidently and they had answers that I, you know, maybe had a vague idea. Um, it was just routine for them. And I think that sort of continues um, on through at least second year. Somebody, somebody drew for me once. Um, so I guess what I mean to say is when I looked at residents as a medical student, even interns, it was just amazing to me all the stuff they could do. But now I've been an intern and I realized that it, it feels differently to do it than it does to look at it from outside. Somebody drew one time for me this little circle on a piece of paper, like it was a small circle. And it said, you know, the stuff inside the circle, the area of the circle is the stuff you know. And then the circumference of the circle, the edges, those are the things that you know you don't know yet. And the more you learn, the bigger that circle gets. So the area gets bigger, but so does the circumference. And so the more you learn, the more you're aware that you don't know. Um, and I think that that has continued. And I, I'm getting the sense that that doesn't really ever stop um, in medicine, which I guess is part of the draw. Uh, so I guess what I mean to say is you keep learning stuff, but there's, there's always going to be more to learn. And the people above you maybe don't know quite as much as you think they do, or at least they are still figuring some of it out too. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, a good thought to always keep in your head is that nobody knows everything. Nobody's got to figure it out, and you'll probably be uh, doing with what you can with what you know, just like everybody else is around you. Um, you yeah, know, I talked to I remember an attending at. one time over at Children's Hospital was giving me feedback at the end of the rotation, and she said, "Well, you know, do you have any feedback for me?" And I was like, "No, I I think you're doing a great job." And she's like, "Oh, that's so good to hear. You know, I haven't been doing this that long. This is like my third year as an attending." But it blew me away because to me, even just as an intern, she seemed to know exactly what she was doing all the time. Um, so just being aware that you you will get to where they are and and they don't have all the answers either. And, and that's it's okay not to know anything at the everything at the level you're at. Um, that's just part of medicine. Yeah. So we're we're talking about learning stuff and acquiring knowledge. There is curriculum in uh you know, these, the clinical years of medical school, there's curriculum in residency, things that you are supposed to learn and that you must learn uh, to, to graduate to the next level for sure. But it's a little bit more nebulous than, you know, you're just going to have to take a uh, multiple choice test after every week or month of medical school, like in the first couple of years. So how do you go about learning these nebulous concepts or the the nebulous curriculum of residency. Um, I'm not saying that you're not guided along the way, but it seems like there's a lot of self-starting here, a lot of learning stuff on your own and figuring out how to figure things out on your own, um, which is not just the job of the resident, but the job of any physician or any provider is how do I, no one's going to tell you how to figure things out. Um, you just got to have to figure things out, um, you know, throughout your career. So how have you um, started that process or how do you go about that process of learning things when nobody's telling you how to figure it out? 
Right. Yeah. And I, I think I had that exact question the first day of residency during an orientation. I was like, what am I going to, am I going to keep doing flashcards? Like, how do I, how do I learn? How do I study this? You know? And I think people often give you some, you know, generic advice, Oh, study, whatever it is your patients have. Um, and of course that's true. Like you need to learn how to take care of the patient that you have right in front of you. Um, and they'll, you know, there is some teaching they'll say, okay, today we're going to learn about, you know, how do you, how, how do you deal with heart failure? Um, Today we're going to deal with, you know, how do you deal with COPD? Yeah. And they'll teach you, but, you know, it's not the first time you've seen any of those things. Um, so some of what, I guess a few things I would say about this. One is it feels good to know what you're doing. So if you notice that every time you do a shoulder exam, you have no, you just feel like a dummy, you can spend some time and learn the shoulder exam. And that goes for pretty much anything, whether that's, you know, Maybe you feel like a dummy because you don't know how to do vent settings in the ICU, whatever it is. And if you learn some of it, uh, then you can go to the attending and say, here's what I know. What else can you teach me? And if you, the more you teach yourself, you know, the more interest you show in it, the more they can, the more nuanced and like advanced things that your faculty and attendings can, can teach you and show you how to do. Um, so, you know, to some degree, it's true that they are responsible for your learning, but you the further you, further along you meet them, the farther they can take you. Um, and I think part of that is also just getting out of the student mindset. Like you're not learning this just to do well on the rotation now. Like you are going to need to know how to do this on your own in a few years. So the more you you can suck up information-wise from the people who right now are in charge of teaching you, um, the better. Because in a few years they're not going to be in charge of teaching you anymore. Um, and then the other thing. I think is that's useful sort of in that same vein is if you have a special interest, if, if you're really interested in, you know, I don't know, um, infectious disease, antibiotics, pharmacy, if you're really interested in cardiology or something, there's probably someone around that would love to teach you more about that. So it doesn't hurt to tell people, Hey, I'd really like to learn more about, you know, medication assisted treatment for uh, substance abuse, you know, substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. um, they'll, if they don't know how to do it, or if it's not their specialty, they can say like, oh, I don't know, but you know, Dr. Maturja or Dr. Mike or whatever, he would love to talk to you about that. Um, and so because you're now a professional, you're a doctor, they can take you to do things that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do as a medical student. Um, so if you, if you take an interest, I think someone will take an interest in you. Uh, that said, you know, don't fake an interest. Like if you really hate, you know, obstetrics, you don't have to spend time doing obstetrics. If you're not going to do it later, you, you know, learn enough that you can get through it now, but you only have so much time. Um, so to some degree, you, you should focus a little bit on the stuff that you think you'll probably do later, or at least that you want to try out for right now. Um, and then the rest of that, you know, people learn different ways, but I have plenty of books around, uh, attending still use up to date.com every day. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so there's, there's resources that you can pick up from other people along the way. Um, but some of that's going to be, you know, a resident, you know, who's a year above you has a book they like, and they're going to show it to you. And if you like it, you can use it too. Uh, I got like three, I carry around all the time with me in the hospital and a couple I keep in the primary clear clinic. So you'll, you'll find them, but cool. um, yeah. that, that would be generally how I would say is a good way to approach it in residency. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, in that vein, you're, seems like it takes a lot of effort to do that sort of stuff. Cause you're already the physician for a lot of patients and you're caring for them and you're learning new things about them. And you're also trying to 
get through all, you know, or just, uh, learn things about other topics. Like you talked about, like maybe you're not on the cardiology rotation, but you're still super into cardiology or infectious disease or whatever it is. And so you're going out of your way to do that. Uh, it's just a super tiring and effortful endeavor to uh, mm. be doing all that. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, we know that the, I think we can all agree that the healthcare system in this country is at least uh, a little bit difficult to deal with and, and flawed uh, to some extent. And, um, and just takes a lot of effort to manage from the side of the provider. So my question I'm putting to you is how do you feel about that sort of stuff? Do you feel jaded now that you are in the, the world uh, you know, kind of behind the curtain a little bit? Are you just tired? Are you disillusioned with it all? Or are you energized, excited, and hopeful? Or what is the combination of of all those words I just said? Or throw right, your own yeah. words out there? Sure, good question. Well, um, you know, if I, I still wish Bernie Sanders had won the 2020 presidential election. So that, that probably says a lot about how I think healthcare <laughs> probably should be run in this country. Yeah. Um, that said, it's not. And it can be um, difficult sometimes, you know, especially if you're dealing, you know, not just with insurance companies, but a lot of patients we have don't have insurance at all. They may be undocumented, whatever it is. They can't get Medicaid. So, you know, sometimes I had a, I had a patient, he had a complete tear, part of his rotator cuff. To go get surgery, but he can't get surgery. Um, you know, he doesn't have the money. Sometimes we can get the money. Sometimes we can't. Uh, so, so that can be definitely difficult. Um, I would say I'm not definitely not jaded, um, tired, certainly sometimes, not all the time, but tired. That's mm-hmm. just part of being a resident. Uh, but I think, you know, the more you learn to do from a medical standpoint and the more you interact with uh, you know, just being a doctor, insurance companies, the hospital, the medical care system, the more you feel like you can do, and the more your opinion and your voice on these issue issues will will carry weight. Um, and I don't say this to be, you know, self-aggrandizing or anything, but if you, you know, go to, you know, a, a meeting in the neighborhood, or if you're going to, a, uh, you know, a, lobby someone in in Congress, whether that's locally or up, up on the hill in DC, mm-hmm. there is some import to to being a doctor. So um, I guess the thing that can make you feel less jaded or less disillusioned is when you figure out a way that you can make a difference, whether that's in your patient's life individually, or if you get involved with a group and AFP has, has plenty of these certainly that you can get involved with um, that's involved in, in crafting legislation, you know, Trying to trying to move um, politicians one way or the other on a bill and, and focus their attention and honestly, a lot of times politicians are, are they welcome that kind of input because you know they're they're not a doctor uh, they don't work in the healthcare field and so um, they they welcome uh, yeah input from people who work in that field so I think that the trick with not being disillusioned is to feel like you can make a difference. And so finding ways to make differences, either big or small, is, is an important thing to, to do. Um, I think in some I think in some specialties, that's harder than in others. But I will say in family medicine, that's encouraged and, and certainly part of the curriculum in most places. So that's a that's a pitch for, for family medicine for any of you listeners out there. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, that's good advice. I like to be involved locally with uh, 
kind of governmental structures and uh, advocacy groups. I think that it does bring some meaning uh, to the profession and to just the whole journey, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also learn relevant uh, things along the way. So I I think it's, that's been good for me. I, I support that recommendation to get involved uh, with, uh, you know, some sort of group. Yeah. And you meet lots of people doing a lot of cool stuff too. And so you might, you know, meet a group that's been operating down the street. You didn't know anything about, and you can do a lot of cool stuff with them. And, and, you know, maybe you'll meet someone in another state that you can go, you can go visit with, or at least correspond with. And you never know the, I think the more connections you can get a hold of the better. Definitely. Well, we've talked about a lot of different things today. A lot of things, uh, you know, you've kind of really given us quite the view of your life personally um, and how it's changed over the years um, in terms of being involved in biotech and then getting into family medicine residency and everything in between. Um, You mentioned earlier that you are toying with the idea of moving to a small town and being the uh, small town doc. Mm. Um, so what do you, uh, right now in this moment, you know, I, mean, I won't hold you to this. I just want to get a snapshot here. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. what do you envision your practice to be like, uh, you know, in about a year, what is it going to be a year and a half? Yeah. Sooner than, than it seems, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, so I, I guess for me, I, well, first of all, I imagine I'll be, I'll be taking care of some kind of underserved community. It's just, you know, not everybody has to do that, for, but for me, that, that's something I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it, I'd like for it to be somewhere where I can do that. Um, in terms of practicing like full spectrum family medicine is a phrase you hear a lot. That, that's really what draws me to it. I don't, I don't, some people like working in an urgent care and that's fine, um, whatever it is, but I, I would really like to do you know, the outpatient medicine, I'd love to work with the community. I want to work in the, the hospital if I can. I, I'd like to, you know, deliver babies for my continuity patients, um, whatever it is. I'm interested in substance use treatment. Um, I, I love palliative care, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's tough because, uh, you know, you can't, you really can't do it all. But I will say I've met family medicine doctors who do a lot of that stuff. Um, certainly in a rural environment, I think is probably the easiest place to do that. Now, I've never lived in a rural community and I, I have trouble imagining that I probably will. And I have a lot of trouble imagining my wife, talking my wife into it. But um, there are places adjacent to big cities. So for instance, um, near DC is Harper's Ferry and surrounding Harper's Ferry is a lot of very rural areas, you know, West Virginia, Virginia, you know, Maryland, Pennsylvania is not too far. Um, and so that is one option for people who would still like to be adjacent to a city or at least in a, in a reasonably sized city, but um, to go out and, and do that kind of stuff. Certainly plenty of doctors do um, what, what's called locums. And that's where, you know, some place that doesn't have a doctor brings you out for whatever it is, you know, a few weeks, a month. I work with some doctors that go out and work in, you know, East Kansas, you know, Nebraska sometimes, and they love it out there. Uh, and then they come back to Denver when they're done. I personally would love to get back to the West Coast just from a family medicine perspective because family med started out there. I think doctors in, in family medicine get to do a lot more on the West Coast. Uh, you know, OHSU is a good example. There's plenty of spots, you know, at Kaiser's and, and so on in California um, that, that lets you do that kind of thing. So in terms of the, 
the geography, I guess I'm a little less certain, but in terms of what I'd like to do, uh, certainly all of that stuff, um, we'll see. But, you know, again, as I said, we'll see where I wind up. It's good to have an idea what you want to do, but you don't want to put the blinders on because, you know, a year from now I might find some amazing opportunity and uh, it might not involve all that stuff, but it certainly could later. And I think it's, it's good to just kind of keep your eyes open. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's cool. I wish you uh, all the best on uh, whatever directions you go. I want to ask, uh, I want to kind of end the podcast with uh, one question. You kind of already touched on it earlier in terms of, um, you know, how you would uh, envision your perfect healthcare system in America. Mm-hmm. But so I'm giving you a magic wand right now. Um, how would you change healthcare in the United States, or you could talk about globally and feel free to be as creative as you want. Um, there's no budget here. Um, you could, you could give yourself a budget and be realistic with it. Um, but, uh, you know, you could also just change one thing or change a lot of things, but here's your magic wand. How would you change healthcare in, in this country or the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably, the first thing I do, as I said, would go back and get Bernie Sanders to be president, you know, at the moment, but it's fine. It's, I'm not, <laughs> okay. I can move no, on. That's, it's okay. that's step one. But, All right. But I think, um, you know, and I'm not like a, a public health expert or anything. And I know some people who are that might disagree with me, but I, I, I know many that do agree that I think a nationalized healthcare system um, shifts the incentives in a way that would be better for patients and better for doctors and just better, better, better for medical care overall. Um, I, I know that insurance companies serve a purpose. I, I'm not exactly sure what their primary purpose is. Um, but I, I don't think that, I think there are plenty of examples of countries that don't really have those, or at least have them in a significantly different capacity, uh, smaller that, um, that I think deliver better healthcare and is more humane for, for the people and for the doctors. Um, now, if I wind up working for an insurance company someday, I would like you to play this back for me, but, um, I don't, I don't I think promise I will. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but so that, that would be probably, I mean, maybe a little facile, but I think that would probably improve healthcare generally in this country. Um, mm, it's hard to see how that would go wrong. Who knows? Cool. All right. Well, it was a real pleasure getting to talk to you. Uh, I'm glad we made this happen. We tried to, uh, actually get this podcast happening i think in february maybe march of this year and here we are in the end of october making it happen so yeah good things take time i guess persistence and patience pays off so i really appreciate your time and and uh, thank you so much for doing this absolutely thanks for having me on ross appreciate it all right Thank you so much to Dr. Mario and to all the busy people who lend their precious time to talk with me on the podcast or in any capacity. You know, there's so many great people in this industry and so many others who are willing to mentor and reach out and be helpful and take their time just to improve your life or your journey. And so I appreciate uh Dr. Mario sharing his journey with us and and every guest on the show. I appreciate you all listening. If you appreciate the show and and enjoy the show and want to contribute to it, uh, feel free to hook me up with some guests. 
uh, in different specialties of medicine, like we talked about in the intro. The email address is theprimarycarepodcast at gmail.com. The Instagram is at primarycarepodcast. So feel free to hit me up on either one of those platforms and give a subscribe or a like or a follow uh, wherever you find us. And Thanksgiving is coming up shortly here. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And hopefully we'll have a good episode for you in December. All right. Take care. We'll see you on the next one. uterus was the universe and it bloomed and birthed the moon and the earth nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves it was a fight for survival many died though friends were formed to fight mutual rivals man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love bringing joy into their lives boom they were civilized went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne built empires and the stories well known History ticks along like a metronome And then I came to be Learned to walk, talk, and throw stuff All grown up, I got a job now And showing up, I'm sleep deprived I'm misaligned My appetite is primed to feed the ego Almost all the time And then I met you, lovely and smooth You quickly removed my modern man's blues I wanna celebrate every breath that I take Cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming And I don't wanna wait So baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know the universe was my universe but i left to pursue the search of love but sometimes it hurt along the way if there's anything i've learned create a garden plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder am I the hunted or the hunter When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said hey baby instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint Take it slow, protect your soul Travel long and far but make sure to come home Cause the love that's here is what keeps you going gives you the power and the freedom to grow let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress this life is crazy but it's the goddamn best when life gets complex don't think just do it first it was simpler when the uterus was so baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know the uterus was my universe the uterus was my universe All conversation and information exchange is contained in the podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be confused with medical treatment, advice, or direction. Nothing on the podcast should supersede the relationship and direction of the medical caretakers. Although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they are not functioning as physicians in this environment. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, let me grab a hold.
don't know.